I want you to turn in your Bible this morning. I want to share a message with you from Psalm 84. So if you'll go right to the middle of your Bible, you should hit the book of Psalms. And then when you find the book of Psalms, turn to Psalm 84. And I want you to follow along in your Bible as I read for us today. And then uh, keep this chapter open. And we'll go down through these verses of Scripture this morning. Psalm 84, beginning with verse 1. How amiable are thy tabernacles, O Lord of hosts! My soul longeth, yea, even fainteth for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh crieth out for the living God. Yea, the sparrow hath found a house, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young, even thine altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are they that dwell in thy house. They will be still praising thee, Selah. Blessed is the man whose strength is in thee, in whose heart are the ways of them, who passing through the valley of Baca make it a well. The rain also fills the pools. They go from strength to strength. Every one of them in Zion appeareth before God. O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob, Selah. Behold, O God, our shield, and look upon the face of thine anointed. For a day in thy courts is better than a thousand. I had rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the man that trusteth in thee. Psalm 84 is one of my favorite psalms. It is a psalm that is probably the most moving expression in all of the Bible of the importance of the house of God for a child of God. As you read through this particular psalm, if you put on your New Testament glasses, it gives you a pretty good picture of the importance of a church in the life of a born-again believer. Now, of course, you know church is primarily a New Testament term, primarily a New Testament word. And when you read about the church in the New Testament, you will find normally that it is used in one of two ways. Sometimes the word church is used to refer to to what some people call the invisible or the universal church. What that means is, is that everybody who is saved, if you have received the Lord Jesus as your personal Savior, you are a part of the universal church. It is the universal church that will be caught up together to meet the Lord in the air. It is made of all of the born-again believers, whoever they are, wherever they are, in whatever place. So sometimes the word church is used to refer to what we call the universal church. But when you read the New Testament, you will also discover that sometimes it is used to refer to a local congregation of believers. For instance, Paul writes a letter to the church at Rome. He writes a letter to the church at Philippi. There were visible local congregations of believers that gathered in the name of Jesus. Now, if you're saved, as I've said, you're a member of the universal church. Most of you in this building this morning are members of a local church, Calvary Baptist Church in Rome, Georgia. Every born-again believer needs to be a part of a local congregation of believers. So that's what I'm going to talk about for a while this morning. I'm going to talk about why you need a church, and I want to do it using an Old Testament psalm and Old Testament terminology. 
Now, there are some who feel that uh, Psalm 84 is kind of a shut-in psalm, that uh, evidently it was written by some believer who has been shut in for a period of time, and, and they haven't been able to go to God's house. Now, having recovered, they are able to go back to God's house tonight, today. And they are filled with anticipation and expectation as they gather again with the people of God, a shut-in psalm. Then there are others who feel like, well, it is probably a pilgrim psalm, that it was sung by believers who would make their pilgrimage up to Jerusalem to worship in the temple there and to gather with God's people there. And, you know, I think about that, how wonderful it is for God's people to gather together. When I was a little boy in Sunday school, we used to sing that psalm about Psalm 122.1. And you remember what it says out of Psalm 122.1? It says, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. So it may be a pilgrim psalm. Here's a psalmist, and he is, he is excited about the prospect of going to the house of God. Now let's take that Old Testament terminology and let's apply it to the importance of a local church in your life as a born-again believer. So first of all, I want to just notice in the opening verses, here is a believer who is longing for God's house. Do you see that anticipation in the opening verses, the first two verses of the chapter? Do you notice here how he says, uh, my soul longs and, and yea, even faints for the courts of the Lord. He's filled with anticipation. He is longing to go to God's house. Now, why do you think uh, he is so excited and why he longs to go to God's house? I think there's some reasons that are given to us in these opening verses. I think, number one, he is excited about going to God's house uh, because God's house uh, is such a lovely place. Now, I'm reading from the King James Version of the Bible. I read a lot of other translations. I enjoy them as well. But in the King James, it uses some old words that we don't normally use. And in verse 1, he says, How amiable are thy tabernacles, O Lord. And most of the modern translations translate that word amiable, the Hebrew word behind that, as how lovely uh, is your house, O oh God, your tabernacles, O oh God. Uh, would you agree with me that God's house ought to be a lovely place? Uh, would you agree with me that, that God's house ought to be well kept? And, you know, when I walk into a building in a church, uh, I can tell you in five minutes what the people who worship there think of God. If I go in a building and it is shabby and it is run down and it's not clean and it's not cared for, it makes a statement about what the people there think about God. But when I come into a place like yours and it's clean and it's neat and it's well uh, uh, cared for, it says something about it. Uh, I think God's house ought to be the prettiest house in the whole building. Uh, I was pastor down in uh, Jacksonville, Florida at First Baptist Church for uh, almost 24 years. And uh, we built an auditorium down there uh, to seat 10,000 people. And, and it cost us uh, $18 million. Uh, now, I know that's not a lot of money for you rich folks in Rome, but, but in our place, $18 million was a lot of money. And, and I well remember uh, while we were building that uh, building uh, that we got a lot of criticism about it. And there were radio shows, and people would call in and criticize spending $18 million. And people would write letters to the editors, and they would criticize us for spending $18 million. At the same time, they were renting, uh, they were renovating the Jaguar Stadium in Jacksonville. Uh, 
Now, if you don't know what the Jaguar Stadium is, that's where 22 men in need of rest are being watched by 70,000 people in need of exercise. And, and so they, they were renovating it, and it was going to cost $120 million. I never heard one word of criticism. I never read one letter of criticism to the editor. Somehow, it's all right to build a stadium where people play a game, but some, for some reason, it's not acceptable to build a place where God's people gather together to worship the God of this universe and to honor our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. How lovely are your tabernacles, O Lord. Uh, but, you know, there's another translation that uh, I, I really like, too, for that word amiable. Sometimes that word could mean how loving uh, uh, is your tabernacle, O Lord. Uh, and, and you see, God's house ought to be a lovely place. But would you agree with me that God's house ought to be a loving place as well? And, and don't you think that God's people ought to enjoy uh, the church where they attend? Uh, don't you believe God's people should love uh, their church? You know, I've, I've never understood people who criticize their own church. Uh, it's like uh, I used to hear old Bailey Smith say uh, about the pastor who said, Brother Jones, would you stand and lead us in a word of criticism? I, I don't understand people like that. I, I heard about a guy who checked himself into a, a monastery where you were allowed to speak only two words a year. That's all you could do. Two words every year you were allowed to speak. So at the end of his first year, he went into the abbot and he said, food bad. And then he went back to his place. Uh, the next year, he came back to the abbot, and he said, I'm cold, and he went back to his place. The third year, he went into the abbot, and he said, I quit, and the abbot said, well, it's just as well. You haven't done a thing since you've been here but criticize. <laughs> oh, no. I, I know churches have their faults. I know churches have their inconsistencies, but ladies and gentlemen, I believe that we should love our church. This is my church. For her, my, my tears shall fall. Uh, for her, my prayers ascend. To her, my toils and cares be given till cares and toils shall end. We ought to love our church. But more specifically, don't you think that church ought to be a loving place? Did you know that there are people all over Rome, Georgia, who are just looking for somebody to love them? Remember that old country song we used to hear, uh, looking for love in all the wrong places? Looking for love in all the wrong faces? Uh, that's why people go to the bars and to the lounges and to other places like that. They're looking for love. They're looking for someone who cares for them. Ladies and gentlemen, the most loving place in all of the city ought to be the house of God. And when people walk into this building here, they should sense and experience the love of God's people when we gather together. And so he's longing for God's house, and we long for God's house because it is such a lovely, lovely, a lo loving place. But there's a second reason, not only because it is such a lovely, uh, loving place, but, but also because it is such a living place. Uh, did you notice the activity here in verse 2? Do you see it talks about the courts of the Lord? Uh, did you see that picture there? In, in the Old Testament, they had the, the temple, and, and they had a series of, of courts where people would gather. And, and you can see those people who are milling around uh, uh, in the house of the Lord. And it reminds me of what goes on in your church on a Sunday morning. 
You're moving in and out of the halls of these, uh, these buildings. You are going in and out of the classrooms and you're talking and you're hugging necks and you're fellowshipping and, and it is a beehive uh, of excitement and, and activity. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, it is in God ha- God's house that I have met living uh, people. Uh, the most alive people I've ever met in my life, I met in the house of God. I met my wife in the house of God. You know, that's a pretty good place to meet your mate. Did you know that? In the house of God. Now, I was pastor of a little old church down there in Carroll County, Georgia. It was Bethesda Baptist Church, but the old folks called it Old Bethursday. And they said, let's go down there to Old Bethursday and listen to that boy preacher. That used to make me so mad. What do they mean, that boy preacher? I'm the pastor of a Baptist church. Now, if they want to call me boy preacher, I don't get upset too bad about it now. But, but I was, I, it was homecoming. And, man, I had a stem winder of a sermon. I was going to preach on climbing Jacob's ladder that Sunday morning. And uh, the doors opened up on that homecoming day, and I was up preaching. And in walked the most gorgeous blonde girl I've ever seen in all of my life. And I saw Janet, and I fell off of Jacob's ladder, and I hadn't been back on it since. You can meet your mate in the house of God. Good place to meet your mate. You can meet people who are alive in the house of God who have come to know what life is really all about when they have been made alive by a new birth experience through the Lord Jesus Christ, living people. You can meet the living God in the house of God. Somebody said, well, you can meet God anywhere. I agree. Somebody said, well, I can worship God out on the lake on a Sunday. Well, I'm sure that you can. But there is something specifically given to us when God's people gather together uh, as a a church. Uh, Jesus said one time, he said, where two or three, there's more of us than that this morning, where two or three are gathered together, what did Jesus say? There am I in the midst. Did you know Jesus is in this place this morning? Did you know that the living God is right here in this building today? where two or three are gathered. You can have an experience in this very room this morning with the living God, and you'll walk out of here, and you'll never, ever be the same again. So, number one, we see here a believer who is longing for God's house. Now, track with me as we go down through the verses. Secondly, we see a believer here who is living in God's house. Did you see what it says here in verse 4? Blessed are they that dwell in thy house. Uh, Here's a believer. He's decided to just build his life around the the house of God. Uh, Some of you wonderful people, that's what you have done. You have decided to build your life and the life of your family in and around the fellowship of Calvary Baptist Church. Now, why should you live uh, uh, in God's house? Why should you make that the center of your life? Well, there are a couple of reasons here I want to share with you. Uh, One of the reasons is for parental reasons. Uh, Did you notice the birds in this passage of Scripture? You saw the birds, didn't you? Do you see the birds there in verse 3, the sparrow and the swallow? Uh, Do you see those birds and they're they're twittering and they're flittering all around uh, the building there? Uh, The birds. You know, the Bible says a great deal about the birds. Uh, In fact, Jesus talked about the birds. You remember that? Jesus said you can, you can buy uh, four birds for two pennies. You remember that? You can buy four birds for two pennies. And then he said over in the Gospel of Luke, you can buy five birds for two pennies. 
In other words, if you'll buy that many, they'll just throw in one extra. How insignificant may be a bird. And yet, you know what Jesus said about that little bird? He said, not a bird falls to the ground without the notice of the heavenly Father. When you find a dead bird somewhere, just remember you've just missed God because the Father has come to conduct the funeral of that little bird. I remember in the early years of Billy Graham's crusades of that great uh, black gospel singer, uh, Ethel uh, uh, Barrett, uh, Barrow, began to sing that song, His eye is on the sparrow, and I know he's watching me. Ladies and gentlemen, you are of more worth and value than the little birds. But what does he mean here? Why, why is he using the birds here? He's talking about the birds, and he said the birds, they, they, they build their nest high up in the altar of God for their little ones. Well, what it's saying is, is that a little bird is, is pretty smart. Now, what do you know about the brains of birds? Have you studied the brains of birds lately? Birds are not noted for their brain power. In fact, in this part of the world where we come from, if you want to get yourself in a world of hurt, just call somebody a bird brain. You know what I'm talking about? Birds don't have big brains. And yet little birds with little brains have enough brain power to know that the best place to bring up their young is high in the altars of God. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm here to say to you today that if you will exercise at least the brain power of a little bird, you would be very, very wise to bring up your sons and your daughters, your boys and your girls in the house of God. You know, there are some men in Rome, Georgia, and they are smart enough, intelligent enough to run big corporations, and yet when it comes to the rearing of their own sons and daughters, they don't exercise the brain power of a little bird. Oh, yeah, did you hear what he said over there, Gary? Did you hear that guy over there? Did y'all hear what that person said right over there? They said, well, now, I'll tell you what, preacher. I'll just tell you what now. I'm not going to make my kids go to church. No, sir, not me. I'm going to let them make up their own mind. I am not going to make them go to church. Did y'all hear? That's what he said right over there. Well, okay, how many of you have a little boy, a little girl, uh, primarily a little boy, maybe 10 years old or something like that, and in the summertime, you know, they're out there playing uh, in the dirt and in the grass. And, and they got uh, grass stains all over their clothes. And they're, they're sweating. They smell like a Georgia mule. And, and, uh, and it's about supper time. And you tell them, come on in now. And uh, it's time to take your shower. Now, listen, whatever you do, don't you make that little one take a shower. And especially don't make that little one take a shower and you soap with that. If you make that little one do that, he'll grow up with a, a, a permanent case of B.O. because you made him take a shower. Oh, come on now. Give me a break. I know I'm 82, but I'm not that dumb. It's not uh, making your children go to church that, that uh, causes them to turn against the church. It's when mom and daddy act one way at church and another way at home. Can I have an amen? You know what I'm talking about. So you need a church for your family. Uh, there was Matthew. The little children have gone out today. Your church will help you with your sons and your daughters. I don't know of a time that's, that's been as difficult on parents uh, like the time I am witnessing today. There are so many things to, to steal away the hearts and the souls of your boys and your girls. You need a church for parental reasons. 
God bless you. You've been so wise to bring your sons and your daughters to church here at Calvary Baptist Church. But I'll tell you something else. You need a church for not only parental reasons for your children, you need a church for personal reasons for yourself. I mean, really. I heard about two old boys out here one summer, and they was chopping cotton and, and the field, and they stopped to take a little break. And, and about that time, a, a Delta airplane flew overhead, and one of them said, Ooh, I sure would hate to be up yonder in that uh, plane. And the other said, Ooh, I sure would hate to be up yonder without it. <laughs> and I don't know about you, I'd hate to try to live in this world without a church. I'd just hate to live uh, in the kind of world we live in, without a place to come where God can speak to my heart and God can help me through the trials and the difficulties of life. Uh, you, you see, ladies and gentlemen, sooner or later, you're going to have some tough times. Look at verse 5. Blessed is the man whose strength is in thee. And then he says in verse 6, who passing through the valley of Baca make it a well. The valley of Baca, the Hebrew word translated Baca here is a word for the balsam tree. And, and they tell me that the balsam tree, that, that the sap rises on the inside of the tree and then it oozes out to the outside of the tree and the, and the, the sap goes down the sides of the tree and, and it gives the appearance of, of tears who passing through, and that's why some translations translate it, who passing through the valley of tears make it a well. Am I speaking to anybody in this room this morning? And in recent days you've been through a valley of tears. Do I speak to anybody here in this room this morning and and just in recent days, you have lost a, a, a treasured friend or a, or a precious family member and, and tears of bereavement and sorrow filled your eyes. Am I speaking to anyone here and maybe at school or maybe on the job or, or just maybe on social media? Some trusted friend said something or wrote something that, that hurt your heart and it brought tears to your eyes and crushed your spirit. Am I talking to any parent this morning and maybe some wayward son or wayward daughter is breaking your heart? And this very week, you have wet your pillow with tears of concern for your little loved one, your, your lost wayward child who passing through the valley of tears. Oh, by the way, I can't leave that word throughout. Who passing through. I've got something I want to share with you today. You may be in a valley of tears right now, but God says you're going to go through them. You'll pass through them. You'll get out. You'll, you'll, you'll make it through. I've got good news for you, friend. There is a God in heaven who walks with us through those valleys of tears. But now notice what he says we are to do with those tears. He said, who walking through the valley of tears, make it a well. Make it a well. Make it springs of water. You know what David's psalms were? David's psalms were basically wells that he digged as he passed through the journey of life so that people coming after him could learn the lessons that he had learned in those experiences of the valley of tears. 
Oh, I like 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3 and following, where it talks about the God of all comfort who comforts us in all of our trouble that we might be able to comfort others with the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. What he's saying is when you go through a valley of tears, dig a well, because there's somebody in your church that's going to come along and they're going to have the same experience and they can learn what you learned in that valley of tears. Longing for God's house. Living in God's house. And then quickly, I want us to see learning in God's house. Here's a believer who is learning in God's house. Uh, you know, there's some lessons you won't learn anywhere else except in God's house. It may be a song that the, the choir sings. It may be a lesson that your Sunday school teacher teaches. Uh, it may be a sermon that your pastor preaches. I had a lady say to me one time, coming out of church, she said, Oh, preacher, ever ever sermon you preach is better than the next one. You'll get it in a minute, you know. One lady wrote her pastor. She said, oh, pastor, your sermons have been such a blessing to my husband since he lost his mind. There are some lessons you can learn you won't learn anywhere else. Can I just briefly touch on some of those? Uh, for instance, in church you will learn the, the, the secret of strength. He says in verse 7, they go from strength to strength. They tell me that, that when the pilgrims made their way uh, up to Jerusalem, that along the way there were fortresses and, and uh, they were places of, of uh, guarding over the pilgrims as they would go. There were fortresses and, and they would go from fortress to fortress to fortress. They would go from strength to strength to strength to strength. And you know, that is exactly what we learn in God's house, that God gives us strength for wherever we are in our journey of life. I, I like Isaiah 40, verse 31, where it says, They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. You see, dear one, you need the, the strength for those growing years when you're mounting up with wings as eagles. You need strength for those maturing years when you are running and, and are not weary. And then you need strength for those declining years when you are walking so that you will not faint. That word in Isaiah 40 where it says, shall renew their strength, it literally means shall exchange. You may think that life gets simpler the older you get. But there's some old folks in this building today who will tell you that life gets more complicated and difficult and complex as you go along. You just get all kinds of problems. Now, don't, don't misunderstand what I'm fixing to say. I love all of them dearly. And if you've got enough time, I'd show you pictures of all of them. But, but you know, I, I've got my children and I've got my grandchildren. Somebody said, have I, have I shown you the picture of my grandchildren? No, and I sure do appreciate it, you know, but... Uh, but every addition to your family is another problem. I don't say that in a bad way. That's just life. That's just the way it works. If you've got a grandson and he's not doing too good in school, that's a problem. If you've got a daughter, granddaughter, and she's married and she's having difficulties in her family, that's a problem. Life gets more complex. And something comes along and you say, oh, God, I ain't got the strength I ain't got the strength to handle this problem. And God said, well, let's swap. 
you give me your weak strength and I'll give you my almighty strength. Let's exchange. And you say, Lord, I didn't know I was going to face this in life. I'm going under and God said, let's swap. You give me your puny strength and I'll give you my almighty omnipotent strength for this time. Oh, ladies and gentlemen, in church is where you learned about the strength of the Lord, the secret of the Lord's strength. But then notice also he talks about the sweetness of service. Uh, Look at verse 10. For a day in thy courts is better than a thousand. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. What in the world does that mean? Uh, At the top of your Bible, right before verse verse 1 of Psalm 84 Do you see up there, my Bible has a psalm for the sons of Korah. Do you see that? I suspect there's some old boy sitting right here today, and on the way to church today, you said, you know, we got a visiting preacher. I sure do hope he'll talk about the sons of Korah. I've always wondered who they were. Well, you're in luck. I want to talk a minute about the sons of Korah. You know the story. It's in the Old Testament in the book of Numbers. And, And there was a group of people who rebelled against the leadership of Moses. That kind of reminds me of Baptist churches today. You know, there's always a little group. You know, just a little, just sore heads. You know what I'm talking about? They're always out of joint. They seem to have been born uh, in the objective mood and weaved on a dill pickle. I mean, you know, never are happy. They're always a little out of whack. You know what I mean? And and so here was the sons of Korah. That was the crowd. And they, they said to Moses, you're taking on more authority than do you. We're all God's priests. Uh-huh. And the Lord said, okay, I'll tell you what let's do. All of you who are on the, my side, on the Lord's side, you get over here with Moses. And all of you who are with Korah, you get over there at the tents of, Mo, at the tents of Korah, and we'll see who's God. And those that got over there at the tents of Korah, God opened up the earth and swallowed them. Do you know what the application for that for Calvary Baptist Church is today? Better not criticize your pastor. God will open up the earth and swallow you. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Don't, 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 look so ser- don't look so serious out here. And do you know what? The sons of Korah learned the lesson. And if you'll follow them in the Old Testament, you will discover that the sons of Korah became doorkeepers in the house of God. Their job was to open up the gates of the house of God and welcome God's people in. And when the service was, services were over, they opened up the gates and, and bid the people Godspeed as they went out there to serve. It is in church that you learn the sweetness of service. Do you do anything in church? Get you something to do at church. Sing in the choir. Now, not all of you. I've heard some of you sing. You, you probably don't need to be in the choir, but you know, some of you do. Be an usher. Volunteer to work with the little boys and girls or young people. Get involved in, in some aspect of service here. Be a witness out there wherever you live. And you say, well, I can't be a witness. Okay, just invite somebody. Just say, hey, do you remember that Gary Graves, how mean he was? Yeah, I sure do. He's preaching now. You don't. mean, Yeah, come on over, and I'll, I'll take you out to lunch after the service. Come on over and listen to him preach. You can do that. You can invite somebody to church. I remember the first time I ever tried to win somebody to Christ. 
you know, you, you think you can't be a witness, but I, I, I will never forget the first time I tried to lead somebody to Christ. We were having a, a tent revival down in a housing project in Carrollton, Georgia, and I was leading the singing. You're not the only one that could do all that. I want you to know that, you know. And so he said, now, we're going to go visiting in the afternoon. I said, well, all right, we'll go, but I ain't going to say nothing. I ain't saying nothing. So we went out there that afternoon, went into the home or a little apartment there of a 15-year-old boy, a 13-year-old boy, and we sat down, and, and the assistant pastor looked over at me, and he did this. And I looked back at him, and I did this. Well, he just clammed up. I said, man, if I don't say something, we're not going to get out of here. So, man, I started grabbing verses. You know, I'd heard the pastor use about talking to being a witness for the Lord. I, I put some of those. It's the biggest mess you ever heard in all of your life. And finally, in utter desperation, I looked at him and I said, you wouldn't want to be saved, would you? And much to my astonishment, both said they would. And I saw them accept Jesus as their Savior. I saw them the next Sunday night baptized over at the Mother Church and and it just put a desire in my heart to, to tell people about Jesus. You may not be able to say a word, but you can invite somebody to church. I'm, I'm fixing to make a statement I've made many, many years now. I do not say it, to, uh, I do not say it casually, uh, but I really believe it in all of my heart. I have come to the settled conclusion I had rather sweep floors in my church for Jesus than to run the biggest corporation in America for the devil. Could I have an amen? Amen. And then there's one other thing. You not only learn the secret of strength, the sweetness of service, but you learn the source of your supply. Look at verse 11. Right in the middle of the verse, the Lord will give, look at this, grace and glory. I like those, the, the King James translation there, grace and glory. Uh, you, you see, those two words explain the Christian life. Grace is how the Christian life begins, saved by grace. Glory is how the Christian life ends. He will lead us into glory. Grace is the two bookends of the Christian life. Grace is the, the, the root. Glory is the fruit. Grace is the two warm, warm arms of God in the embrace of the human soul. The Lord will give grace and glory. Now, those are the two biggies. So then he says, no good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. Romans 8.32, where it says, for God who spared not his own son but delivered him up from, for us all, how shall he not with him, with Jesus, give us all things? And ladies and gentlemen, what it's saying is, if God will give you the two biggies, grace and glory, everything in between is a piece of cake. He'll, he'll provide everything you need. My God will supply all of your needs according to the riches of His grace. And at church, you learn that God will meet your needs and that God will help you meet your physical needs. He'll help you meet your emotional needs. He'll help you meet your spiritual needs. And that's why you need a church. Now, I'm going to close it with this, this last verse. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the man that trusteth in thee. Did you notice there he didn't say, blessed is the man who trusts in your house? You see, I've talked about the importance of your church in your life this morning. 
But I want to make it very, very plain that it is not the church in, what, in which you trust. Because it is not the church that saves you. It is Jesus who saves you. But the good news is at church you hear about Jesus who will save you.